hear me? If not, you pray. Good morning. Let's go to the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, our Father, we acknowledge you now as sovereign. Lord, we ask that you would speak now. Lord, I have given what I could give and study. I've given what I could in wisdom and knowledge and understanding that, that you have graced me with. But Lord, if you do not speak now, then I'm just blowing hot air. Lord, your, your people deserve a word from you. And they need a word from you, Lord. So I ask that you would speak to heavy hearts. You would speak to even the ones that are in a season of, of joy. Because, Lord, you are, you are Lord over every season of our lives. So we thank you. We give you praise, glory, and honor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, I want to give this caveat before I start. Um, if you have any issues with my sermon today, you can reach me at my email, which is alex at intervillage.net. Send all of your complaints there. Um, of course, I'm not Alex. Uh, I'm this other guy. I do want to. I do want to mention something. So I, I think that we've got a a a joke that's going to become a ongoing joke about my family, and uh, I, I think I'm going to play on it a little bit. Um, so, welcome to the uh, first service of TGMC, and what that stands for is the Minivan Church. I think I said that right. Yeah. So we got an ongoing joke now that at some point Amos is gonna gonna get a minivan, and I said, yeah, I said no, never because I'm way cooler than all of y'all. So I counted the minivans in our parking lot, and there were like 13 minivans out there. So I guess me and Lyle will be joining that number soon. If I'm going down, Lyle's got to go down too because he's the pioneer of this thing, you know. Anyway, uh, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew uh, 28. And uh, once you get there, just kind of leave it open. Uh, I promise we're going to talk about Jesus. Um, but I want to do a little bit of a, of a setup first. So just go ahead and open your Bible to Matthew 28, specifically verses 16 through 20 uh, is where we're going to be looking today. Okay, I see some good eye contact. So just leave it there, open it, and just leave it there. Uh, we're not going to read it just yet, uh, but keep it in mind. Uh, keep it in mind. All right, so um, I've been here now at the church since maybe 2014, 
And uh, if you've spent any time around me, like I said, I'm going to start off kind of talking about myself a little bit, but I promise we're going to get to Jesus, okay? Sorry about that. Uh, but if you know anything about me, there are a few things that I really like. Uh, if you've spent time around me, you know that I like music. You know that I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan. But again, if you've spent any time around me, you know that I love Chick-fil-A. So everybody that spends any time around me knows that I love Chick-fil-A. I love Chick-fil-A. Well, let me say, I really like Chick-fil-A so much that um, as a family, we've probably been to Chick-fil-A every Saturday for the last six or seven weeks straight. Um, So um, as a family, we we eat at Chick-fil-A, you know, quite a bit. And then on top of that, I, I have a tendency to go throughout the week for breakfast, lunch, and dinner sometimes. Um, but, you know, if I could eat Chick-fil-A like seven days a week, I would, but they're closed on Sundays. So, you know. But because of my addiction to this Chick-fil-A, uh, my son has also... Uh, gained an affection for Chick-fil-A as well. And so unknowingly, I have created a little Chick-fil-A disciple. You know what I mean? Uh, Now, that may be for better or worse. Uh, I had uh, someone tag me on a Facebook post the other day uh, saying that you don't even have to pray over your your, your Chick-fil-A chicken because it's already like anointed or whatever. So it may be for better or worse the amount of, you know, Chick-fil-A uh, that I eat. But unless something major changes, uh, Chick-fil-A will continue to be a part of both mine and Caleb's diet. And so what am I getting at here? Uh, we do this type of, of culture making uh, with the things that are important to us. Uh, we create culture around sports teams. Uh, around music preferences and and whatever our hobbies may be. Uh, But as Christians, we have been called uh, to build a discipleship culture in light of Jesus' fulfillment of the gospel. Um, As small group and outreach coordinator here, um, it is my hope and it is my desire uh, to see a discipleship culture uh, cultivated uh, within the covenant community of the village church. Um, It is my hope that we could uh, someday see the small groups as an environment uh, of evangelism and mission and discipleship. And I believe that this text of Matthew 28, uh, verses 16 through 20, uh, capture what it looks like to begin a discipleship culture. Um, It is in this passage that we see how Jesus empowers his church and he sends us out as missionaries to share his gospel and to make disciples of every nation. So let's go ahead and look at the text. I told you we would get to it eventually. So it says, verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority 
in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am always and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, some may be wondering from the title of you know the sermon that's probably up here, uh, what does it mean to make a disciple? What is discipleship? And I borrowed a definition from a guy named Alan Gideon, and I'm going to read it to you guys. It says, discipling is the process by which a Christian with a life worth emulating commits himself for an extended period of time to a few individuals who have been won to Christ, the purpose being to aid and guide their spiritual their growth, excuse me, to spiritual maturity and to equip them to reproduce themselves to the third spiritual generation. I know that's a lot, so I'm going to read it one more time. Discipling is the process by which a Christian with a life worth emulating commits himself for an extended period of time to a few individuals who have been won to Christ. The purpose being to aid and guide their spiritual growth to maturity and to equip them to reproduce themselves to the third spiritual generation. I know that's real wordy. And I would also like to add a sort of a caveat to it because although I love this quote, I would, I would like to tweak it a little bit uh, to include uh, non-converted disciples of Jesus as well. Um, in my opinion, there are, there are some that have committed to following Christ that have not yet been won to Christ in the sense of a public profession of faith. Uh, these disciples may be elect, uh, but they may not have heard or professed an inward call publicly. Um, I know that's a loaded claim, um, and if anybody wants me to explain that further, just, you know, I gave you my email at the beginning of the sermon. Or just see me after church, because I know that's a very loaded claim. But what I have in mind there are children and people that are connected to the community of faith that have not uh, yet made a profession. Uh, but they are being discipled. Uh, again, that's my opinion. Uh, so you don't have to take that to the bank. Um, and I made mention of that like I said, because I don't want anybody to think that discipleship only starts at conversion. Uh, but for the sake of the context of the passage in this sermon, we're going we're gonna to take a look at disciples that have already made a profession of faith. Um, so when we look at Matthew 16, uh, Matthew 28, 16 through, uh, through 20, uh, it presents a lot of great things. And one of the things that we see uh, right off the bat in verses 16 and 17, I'll, I'll read them again. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, I've always found it interesting in this passage that all of the disciples obeyed Jesus. But when they saw Jesus, 
Some of them worshipped, and some of them doubted. And so what that kind of demonstrates to me is that as disciples of Jesus Christ, even in our obedience, there is, for some of us, a crossroads where worship and doubt meet. Um, so some of them, they, they, they saw Jesus and they doubted. But the funny thing is, is that this passage refers to both the worshipers and the doubters as disciples. Now, this is an amazing testament to the scope of discipleship that I was just alluding to earlier. Uh, some of the disciples uh, were worshiping, which is kind of to be expected. But the other disciples were like, you know, I, I don't know. You know, they, they saw the resurrected Jesus and they and they still doubt it. You know, and oftentimes we can look at passages like this and wonder, like, what in the world are they thinking? Like, do they not know that this is the resurrected Savior that's standing in front of them? I mean, what are they thinking? So sometimes we can, you know, we can look at passages like this and we can, you know, take a critical tone. But I want to kind of help us to see and experience what the disciples may have been seeing here. So for some of you guys, you, you may need to close your eyes and kind of take yourself on a journey here. All right, so his disciples had followed him for three years. Some of them left their homes. Some of them left their families. Some of them left their businesses. And they cashed it all in on a carpenter from Nazareth. Right? But one day, soldiers came and they took him. And they beat him. And they hung him on a cross. And he died. So all of their hopes, all of their dreams, all of their desires died along with Jesus. And for three days, they were left in that space. But then the resurrected Jesus is standing right in front of them. And they knew, like, I know you were dead. Like some of us were there. Some of us saw the spear go into your side. We know where you were lying in the tomb. But you're standing right here in front of us. Put yourself in their shoes. I mean, just imagine someone that you know had been dead for three days was standing right in front of you. Like what kind of reaction would you have to that? Have you ever had a moment where... You saw something, but it was just almost too hard to believe. Like for me, it's September the 11th, 2001. Like I saw the planes hit the towers with my own eyes, but I could not believe what I saw. For some of us, it's something even lighter. It's, you know, 2013. 
with one second left on the clock. Some of us remember where we were in that that period, that space and time. And we saw what was happening on the screen. We saw the ball go up. We saw an Auburn player catch the ball. We saw him run it back 100 yards. But we just could not believe what we saw, even though it was happening right in front of us. So put yourself in the disciples' shoes here. I mean, a man that had been dead for three days was standing right in front of them. It would have been a sight to see. So in our walk as disciples, in our journey as disciples, we will experience moments of doubt. But because you experience moments of doubt, that does not mean that you are not a disciple. What it means is that you're not God. And what it means is that you have been given an opportunity to see the power of God at work. We heard from Pastor Tisdale last week, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We oftentimes pray for more courage. We oftentimes pray for more wisdom or patience when we are are sharing our faith with people. But most likely, what we ought to be asking for is more faith. Because like Pastor Alex says, do you really believe it? Do you really believe that when you share your faith that God can save? God is still saving his people. But do you really believe it? So we take a look at verse number 18. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse number 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So these verses make something clear to us that I want to kind of bring out and I I want us to see is that Making disciples for a disciple of Jesus is not an option. It's a command. Um, in, the, in the original language, the word for make disciples is what's called an imperative. What that means is that those words are not a suggestion. They're a command. So Jesus' command to make disciples is for all of us. It's not meant to guilt us or to coerce us into sharing the gospel, but it is an invitation to participate in the witness of the work of the Spirit. If you look at verse number 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So the amazing thing is that Jesus takes his authority and he delegates it to us. Jesus begins his great commission off by stating that authority had been given to him. This is important for us to understand when we're sharing our faith because Jesus has unlimited power 
and he chooses to use his unlimited power to us, his disciples. We can understand from this that when we share our faith, it is not that we are sharing our faith in our own strength. We don't share our faith by our own knowledge. But it is the power of God that is at work within us. This should give us confidence, especially as reformed people. (laughs) Because we believe that when God does it, he does it right. (laughs) But sometimes we're more afraid of upsetting people or upsetting the natural order than we are afraid of disobeying Jesus. Sometimes we're more afraid that a person is smarter than us or that a person might outwit us than we are of disobeying Jesus. But what I can tell you is that no one is too smart for God. No one is too smart for the gospel. No one is too far gone from the saving power of Jesus. We share a gospel that has the authority to pierce even the most stony hearts. But again, do we really believe it? Do we really believe it? All disciples are commanded to go. The amazing thing is that both worshipers and doubters in this passage are commanded to go. So I want us to catch that. Because everyone that heard the Great Commission was told to go make disciples. That means both the worshipers and the doubters were told to go. Sometimes we look at the doubters and we think that maybe they're not commanded to go. And Jesus would have definitely perceived their doubt but he still sends them out as ambassadors knowing that they had doubts because Jesus' authority is enough to overcome doubt. Although we will assuredly experience fear and doubt, ultimately they're not excuses because, again, they are opportunities to witness the faithfulness and power of an almighty God. Look with me at verse number 19 and 20 again. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What we see here is the way in which we are supposed to go out and make disciples. Jesus tells us to baptize, and he tells us to teach. The idea that is being conveyed here is that as we go along in our everyday lives, we should make disciples as we go. In Acts, We see the movement of the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and then finally to the far reaches of the world. The disciples basically took the gospel wherever they went. 
And because we have been empowered with the gospel, the idea is for us also to take the gospel along with us as we go. Our natural bent should be to make disciples. It should be a priority. Basically, you're a missionary. Like your job pays you to be a gospel missionary. So if you're a doctor, you're pretty much a doctor, a doctoral missionary. If you're an engineer, you're an engineering missionary. So your job basically pays you to be a witness of the gospel. And so what that may look like for some of us is that our comfort zones may be challenged a little bit, right? It may mean that we have to make disciples in ways that may not be comfortable for us. Because if you look at the movement of the gospel in the book of Acts, it says it went to Judea, and it went to Samaria, and then it went to the uttermost parts of the world. See, Jerusalem would have been easy for them because that's home. But as it moves out further, racial tensions, religious differences, economic differences, they would have experienced all of that as they went out to share the gospel. So the the Great Commission calls us to make disciples even outside of our comfort zone. We must make disciples even when we don't feel comfortable. This may practically mean that you, you, you preach the gospel or, or share the gospel with that coworker who, who works your last nerve, right? This may mean that you, you share the gospel in a space where you, you would otherwise remain quiet. And that sounds like a, a real challenge to us. So how does making disciples apply practically to all of our lives? I want you to think about that. Think through that yourself. How can I live out my life and make disciples as I go along living my life? I've got three points of application for you. I need to sit down. The first one is, know the gospel. In order to share it, you kind of got to know what it is. So, know the gospel. If you, if you surveyed evangelicals, which, <laughs> to my chagrin sometimes, we, we are a part of, <laughs> but if you if you surveyed them, and this is opinion, kind of conjecture, so I'm a conjecture, so I'm going to put that out there. But if you surveyed a lot of evangelicals, they would probably tell you that the gospel is basically the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and they would be 100% correct. Right? That's it. That, that's it. But what does that mean for your life? So the second point is, live your life in light of the gospel. 
Live life in light of the gospel. That means living a life of purity. That means living a life of holiness. That means living a life of integrity and character. And once you know the gospel, and once you're living your life in light of the gospel, share it. Share it with all those that you come in contact with. Know the gospel. Live life in light of the gospel. And share the gospel. And let's make disciples. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Father, our Lord, our Savior, we thank you that do all things well. We thank you that you are in control of all things. God, we submit to your sovereignty, Lord. There are spaces and pockets in our lives where, if we're honest, we may not, we may not believe you can change things. But Lord, you are able because you have authority. You are you are able to change things. So God, we submit those areas of our lives that we compartmentalize. We submit those things to you, Lord. God, we thank you for your son. You sent to die on the cross for our sins that paid the price for us that put himself in the space where we should have been. But Lord, he didn't stay dead. He rose with power and delegated that power to us so that we could tell every nation, every people the good news of the gospel. God, we thank you. We ask that you would give increase and that you would multiply your church. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.